All right. Well, welcome to Thursday, our Thursday edition of Journey Through Scripture. My name is Philip Thomas, pastor of Journey here in Elgin, and I'm excited to continue going through the book of Judges. There's some just really cool stories here, but but also some very important just uh, cultural things, but just foundational truths of human nature, uh, of how that works, um, that human nature has not changed that much uh, <laughs> over the last few thousand years. Um, and and we see see that in the people of Israel. Uh, we see what happens to them is, is our story as well. Um, so we are in chapter 6. We're going to go chapter 6 through 10 today. We're going to go through chapter 10, um, and then we'll pick up with a 11 on Tuesday. But, uh, so t- if you want to take a moment, read... Uh, Judges 6 through 10. So here we have the Midianites and the Midianites that are going to be oppressing Israel. And they they make Israel greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. um, And the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord, I brought you from Egypt. I brought you from the house of bondage, delivered you out of the hands of Egyptians, uh, drove them out before you, gave their land. I said, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Right? God just lays out, hey, y'all have been a, pro- a problem. You, you haven't followed me. But God still provides a judge. And he provides one of the more famous judges is Gideon. Uh, this is a much longer narrative. We, we learn a whole lot more about Gideon. Um, Gideon is an interesting uh, character. He, he starts off, it seems, he's a reluctant leader. Um, then he does some amazing things, but then kind of does some questionable things. So let's, let's look at Gideon. So, uh, the, uh, angel of the Lord came, uh, to him while Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. See, the Midianites were taking the grain. They were impoverishing, uh, the people of Israel. Um, and so, uh, Gideon was, fighting back, if you will, um, by hiding uh, the food to keep it for his family and for uh, his tribe. Um, He was trying to push back against the evil things that the Midianites were doing. And uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, this is an interesting response because this is probably one that you can be familiar with. Remember, Gideon is having to to uh, sneak around to find enough food, all of this stuff. Things are not going well. And uh, he says, Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. That is the perfect human response. That is what we do. Uh, it, it's, it is, we have a, what have you done for me lately? And we have a tendency not to see what we have done to make it feel like God is abandoning us. God hasn't abandoned us. Usually we've abandoned God. And Gideon is like, where is God? And God is like, hey, y'all have abandoned me years ago. You, now you want me? Now you're blaming me for all of this? I think this is very interesting. It's interesting the the honesty that Gideon has, which is important. Um, and uh, and it says, 
Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? (laughs) How awesome is that? Gideon is like, why haven't you done anything? Where are your miracles? Aren't you going to send somebody? And God says, "Uh, yeah, it's going to be you. Gideon is like, ah, never mind. I'll just go back to threshing <laughs> behind the back of the Midianites. But uh, so, he, so he says to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So he's, he's recognizing his limitations. And he's like, I'm not cut out for this. But you know what? God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called, right? That's a saying that you may have may have heard. Listen, when God's calling you to do something, he's going to equip you to be able to do it. Uh, and, and so Gideon does his first of many tests of the Lord. Uh, he said, show me a sign. Uh, do not depart from me. He brings an offering and the, and the offering is consumed. And so Gideon recognizes, okay, sure you are an angel of the Lord. Um, and I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it's still in Oprah of the Abizarites. Right, so, so you have Gideon finally recognizing, okay, this is God. Uh, he's proven this to me, so I guess I'm going to have to do what he, what he asked. Then that goes right into it. The Lord says, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. So remember, we just had Gideon uh, uh, questioning the angel of the Lord saying, Hey, um, why is all this bad stuff happening? Why isn't God, uh, intervening? Why aren't we seeing his miracles? And the first thing the angel of the Lord asked Gideon to do is, um, yeah, you need to go tear down that statue of Baal. That you, <laughs> well, maybe that's the reason Gideon, right? That, and we need to be critical of ourselves whenever we start criticizing God. Um, maybe the first thing we need to do is look look inward. Uh, wh- what are we worshiping? Right? Maybe we've built a few too many idols of Baal that uh, that we've been paying attention to and not been paying attention to God. Um, th- and Gideon is realizing that. So Gideon does it, but it's interesting. He says, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he does it by night. Right. He, he's like, okay, I'm going to follow you, but ah, I'm a little, I'm a little scared right now, but he does it. And, uh, and then it does cause problems, but interestingly, his dad stands up for him. But Joash uh, said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him uh, Jerubbabel, which is Gideon, saying, let Baal uh, plead against him because he has torn down his altar. He's basically saying, let Baal handle this. If Baal wants to strike down Gideon, let him strike down Gideon. He's he's basically mocking Baal uh, here, um, and and that kind of calms things down. Um, So so then the, the people do rally behind Gideon. And uh, and they began to uh, form a uh, an army to fight the Midianites. 
So Gideon said uh, to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, uh, as you have said, uh, look, I shall, or Gideon is saying this to to the Lord. Uh, he, He wants two more tests. So he wants to put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only and it's dry on the ground, then he'll know that God wants him to go attack. All right, so he comes up the next morning. The fleece is soaking wet. The drought, ground is all dry. And then he says, well, you know, maybe that could be a fluke. Um, maybe somebody just poured water on the fleece and the ground was, was dry. He said, well, this time leave the uh, fleece dry and all the ground wet. That, that one would be a little harder to do. And so, of course, God does that. Um, and uh, Gideon realizes, okay, I guess I do have to do this thing. Right? But this is Gideon the whole time. He's kind of this reluctant uh, hero, if you will. So then uh, Jerubbabel, if you see in chapter 7, that is Gideon. Um, he begins to gather um, the, the, his army, and 22,000 people returned, um, and that was just that was too many. Um, uh, or and ten, he started off with 32,000. Uh, he was able to uh, to get rid of said whoever is fearful or afraid, let him turn and depart at once. Uh, and 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Uh, it's not a real dedicated army right there at the first. Whatever you said, hey, if you're kind of scared, you can leave. Uh, a third of them said, all right, we're we're gone. But there were still ten thousand, and the Lord said to Gideon, that's still too many. And he does kind of an interesting thing. He says, go get some a drink, and for those who uh, get down on their knees and kind of lap it up like a dog, um, versus those who bring the water, cup it in their hands, and uh, and bring it to their mouth. Um, keep only the ones who cup it in their hands. Well, there was only 300 of them. And at this point, don't you know, Gideon is like, um, that's, what are we doing here? You know, usually you win battles, especially in that day and age, by numbers. That was the main determining factor, uh, is if you had higher numbers, you had a, a much better chance. Um, it says, uh, but the, uh, the, the Lord said, uh, to to take the the three hundred, and I, I was was looking where it was. Oh, there it is. So then he went down. Uh, God kind of gives him another sign. He goes down to scout out where the Midianites are, and he hears them over uh, talking about a dream that they had, and they talk about how they dreamed that the that Gideon was going to to do something, and so that gave Gideon hope. Uh, but at the same time, it says that uh, Midianites, uh, the camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. Again, we have that the, the sand being an emphasis of the n- numerical size of the Midianites. So here uh, Gideon is with 300 people against this huge army of the Midianites. And they come up with a plan to cause confusion. Uh, they kind of put uh, the jars over uh, the torches and they get close and they cause all this confusion and the Midianites basically begin killing each other uh, as as well as uh, the Gideon's army begins taking them out and then they begin uh, uh, going and, and attacking them and destroying them as they're retreating. That brings us to chapter eight, uh, kind of some interesting things that go on that uh, Gideon gets very upset at. Um, some, some of the other people of Israel, tribes of Israel, wouldn't help Gideon. 
Some were uh, the men of Ephraim said to them, why have you done this to us by not calling us uh, when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. In other words, they were saying, hey, why didn't you include us? We, we, we wanted to be part of this, the jealousy. Well, Gideon kind of, he says, oh, what have I done that's in comparison with you? And he kind of strokes their ego a little bit. But jealousy, we see that already. It's kind of like, hey, we got rid of the Midianites. Who cares? Uh, this is how God chose to do it this way. But no, Ephraim was jealous. They wanted to be part of it. Um, then you uh, come to, to different places and Gideon asked for a little bit of help. Uh, give some bread and things like that. And the people were like, well, um, what have you really done? You haven't, you haven't uh, taken the kings of the Midianites yet. So, so until Gideon was go- could finish the job completely, they wouldn't even help with, uh, with, with bread. Um, very interesting and, again, very selfish. Um, and Gideon does tell them, he said, the men of uh, Penuel says, when I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. So uh, uh, Gideon is not, not happy uh, with them. And sure enough, he, he does that. So Gideon does eventually get the kings of the Midianites, Zeba and Zalmunna, um, and, and he, he kills them. Uh, and then you have kind of an interesting transition in uh, verse 22 of chapter 8. Gideon's ephod. So the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. This is a, a kingly request, right? So they want Gideon to be king. God did not call Gideon to be king. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. Um, uh, I would like to make a request of you that you would give me earrings for this plunder. Um, And so basically he makes an ephod, which is kind of like a breastplate. So Gideon is saying that he doesn't want to be king and he doesn't want to rule as a king. But some of the things that he's doing are kind of kingly, right? And, and, And it says... Uh, then Gideon made into an ephod and set it up in his city, Oprah, and all of Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and his house. So Gideon did kind of act like a king, and, and, uh, and that, was, that was pulled people away from God. They began worshiping, in a sense, Gideon, not God. Uh, then Gideon died. He had 70 sons. Um, and one of the sons was from a concubine in Shechem. Remember Shechem, that's one of the uh, refuge cities. And that son's name is Abimelech. So Gideon now dies. You have Abimelech entering the scene. This is just interesting in chapter nine. Um, basically Abimelech, um, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers, um, and spoke with them and basically got them to support him as being a king. And so then Abimelech actually kills all 70 or the other 70 of the sons of Gideon. Well, 69. Uh, one survived. So that, man, how horrible, right? Gideon, who is this a hero to, in the nation of Israel, his son from a concubine, um, again, the Bible never affirms kind of these cultural things. Gideon had numerous wives, including concubines, and it just doesn't work out well. Um, so Abimelech 
kills all of uh, the 70. And so he basically becomes a king in Shechem. Shechem is supposed to be a refuge city. It's a city that uh, had... Um, was there was a an altar that was built at Shechem and dedicated uh, to the Lord, and now Abimelech has basically considered himself king there. Well, it didn't didn't work out too well. Um, things finally start crumbling uh, as they tend to to do, and uh, and uh, Abimelech gets kind of caught in some conspiracy things, and uh, so he goes out and uh, defeats an enemy. Then he actually comes back, and he destroys Shechem as well. He kills many of the people from, from Shechem, uh, and then he uh, goes and attacks another uh, town in uh, Thebes, and this is how it ended. It says, so Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to a young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed me. So his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his own place. Isn't that interesting? Just the difference um, with, you, you can tell the heart of Abimelech where it is. He, he didn't want people to know that he died from a, a woman dropping a big millstone on his head. Ironically, we're going to see in Samuel that he's remembered as the guy who a woman dropped a millstone on his head. So good for Abimelech. Uh, it was very appropriate, um, you know, that he, he lived or died the way that he lived. And, uh, and we see God taking care of that. Uh, chapter 10, uh, we have a, a, a judge of Tola. But one thing I do want to say about Abimelech is you see this this desire to have a king is creeping in, um, and that's that's going. We're going to continue to see that. Uh, we see uh, Tola, and then Jair, and then Israel is oppressed again because why? They're serving the gods of Baal and Asherus, the gods of Syria. Uh, so the Philistines come in, um, and the children of Israel say, "We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals." Uh, it says, therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in their time of distress. So God is kind of, he's getting fed up, right? He said, hey, if you want the other gods, call on them. Good luck with that, right? But then this is interesting. It says, the children said to the Lord uh, of Israel, said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away their foreign gods and among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Isn't that an interesting phrase? That even though these people choose to, to follow other gods and to turn their back on God, his soul could, not, could no longer endure the misery that they were uh, having to, to deal with. And so he's going to send another judge, Japheth. And we will talk about Japheth uh, on Tuesday. So go ahead and read chapters 11, probably 11 to 15 or 16. Uh, we will finish the book of Judges uh, next week. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get all the way through the book of Judges. So read the next five chapters, 11 through 15, for Tuesday. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you then.